Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, it's the 2019 federal election special. Trudeau's liberals voted into a minority government. How did that play out? We caught up with winning incumbent for Hamilton East Stony Creek, Bob Bertina. Also, what's the future of the Conservative Party now? And will the minority government be able to get anything done? The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Elections, elections, and more elections last night. Of course, the Trudeau Liberals were voted uh, into a minority government. 156 seats. The Conservatives at 122. Uh, the Bloc at 32. The NDP at 24. The Greens, 3. And the Independent, Jody Wilson-Raybould, that being that independent, at 1. So how is this going to work, and, and what are the impacts going to be on this? And just, I guess, one of the other questions as we start to do some analysis here is, how did this happen last night? Uh, we have extensive coverage of, that we're going to be getting into uh, through the course of the program and starting it off uh, with our, our good friend Charles Adler, host of Charles Adler Tonight, which is heard across, right across the Chorus Radio and Global TV networks uh, every day. Charles, first of all, on a long, long night, thanks so much for joining us this morning. No problem, Bill. Uh, and notwithstanding, the, I, I'm going to actually go in reverse order, if you don't mind. Uh, notwithstanding the fact that I get up at 3.30 to start preparing for the show every morning here, I stayed up for the speeches last night, and I was struck by the tone uh, from the three main party leaders, uh, both Justin Trudeau, uh, Jagmeet Singh, and, and of course Andrew Scheer. Uh, given the results, given what happened here, I, I, I think the voters sent a message to all three of those leaders last night, but I did not hear any sense of that, that they even received that message yesterday. The, the Trudeau speech sounded like something you could have written two weeks ago. It was full of platitudes, and it was, it was a, a stump speech. Uh, Jagmeet Singh was looking around like he just won a majority government, when in fact he got wiped out in, in the province of Quebec. And uh, there's some concerns about how that party is going to succeed. And uh, Mr. Shearer, of course, uh, was, seemed somewhat belligerent. Uh, I, I'm not necessarily thinking he has to be, uh, you know, at that point where he's going to be on his knee and just say, hey, sorry about this. But I didn't notice any contrition from anybody. I didn't notice any, any acknowledgement at all that, hey, maybe we have to work a little bit harder to gain the confidence of the Canadian voters. And I think that was the message, and I don't think any of them got it. Well, if you were a Martian and uh, watching it, you would have thought that Elizabeth May had won 300 seats last night, <laughs> as opposed to three. I mean, it, just, it was amazing. No, nobody, nobody wanted to admit that anything had happened last night. But it did. Yep. That sure that's, did. That's, that's the, the, the thing that I, I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm gobsmacked by this whole thing. And, and, and I've seen this in the past. You've seen this in all the elections you've covered in the past. Uh, a little humility and a little acknowledgement that, you know what, uh, we got our heads slapped here and probably deserved it, and we're going to have to try to do better. I didn't hear much of that last night. Well, as you can imagine, I may have some friends in the Conservative Party and uh, in Western Canada, especially, you know, that's the base of the Conservative Party. And I am still blown away by how difficult it is for them to accept the, the news that most people can expect, except when they're football fans, you know, no matter how much you may, may, may like the quarterback, uh, if he keeps throwing interceptions, you may need a new quarterback. Let's talk about that. I know you brought that up on the panel last night on the global coverage about this. And uh, those that rush to the defense of Andrew Scheer will say, come on, it's his first election, all right? He didn't do well, but uh, they, you know, they, they won the popular vote. They increased a uh, better seat total than Stephen Harper ahead of his first run. Uh, is that really much ado about nothing? I mean, the end game here is, is winning the election, isn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's a competition. And, uh, you know, you, you look at the blue map in, in Alberta and the blue map in Saskatchewan and the Conservatives are winning in some ridings by 80%, 85%. I mean, that drives up the popular vote total. But, you know, what difference does it make? Uh, you, you get, the Conservatives still are not a, a brand in urban and suburban Canada, for the most part. And urban and suburban Canada is where 80% of the folks live. Why have they failed to get that message? Because they're completely inept on, 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 on social issues, and many people don't just vote on, on economic issues. And the fact is, you, you've got to be able to connect with people. And look, I, I live in a riding in, in Metro Vancouver, which is an urban riding. And uh, the conservative they put up there is ultra-social conservative, ultra-hates gay folks, uh, ultra-hates uh, Muslims, Ultra, ultra, ultra. And, you know, if, if she were in, in certain parts of Saskatchewan or Alberta, you know, she'd probably get 80% of the vote too. But she's in Metro Vancouver. And so you have to ask the, the riding association, what the hell are you people thinking? I, I want to talk about that because that's one of the elements through the whole course of this campaign. Uh, she always seemed uncomfortable anytime anybody brought up things like LGBTQ rights, uh, gay marriage, uh, the Civil Marriage Act, of course, that was there. Uh, and he danced around it, never really gave a direct answer on that, and, and looked unsure. That and Forget about the answer, because those are just words, but the posturing that he did, does, does that have an impact on, for instance, millennial voters who are saying, you know, is this the guy we want to go forward with? Well, of course, you're absolutely right, Bill. I mean, body language is everything. But what's so difficult? I mean, uh, b- both of us, uh, you, were, you were raised Catholic, were you not? Yeah, yeah. All right, fine. So uh, all of us who were raised with some religion, I think if we're professional communicators, which is, I think, something you, you ought to be, whether you're leading a political party or, or running a talk show, you ought to be able to communicate, and you ought to be able to speak from the heart. And what's wrong with a religious person simply saying, uh, I'm a devout a Catholic, and yes, I believe in the, the doctrines, the dogmas, the beliefs of, of my church, and I'm proud of it. I'm also a faithful Canadian, and I would be honored uh, to be the Prime Minister of of this country. Uh, I will continue to go to church and be faithful to my church, but as far as my job, the most important job that I have, which is serving 100% of the Canadian people, I will abide by the rule of law, and I will enforce the rule of law. That's what I do. The Canadian people have spoken on these issues. We have laws. And I will proudly serve the Canadian people and honor those laws. And if anyone in my caucus doesn't understand that, that we are not going to those issues that my church would like to see installed in government, if anyone in my caucus doesn't understand that, they can leave the caucus right now because we're here to grow Canada. We're here to create jobs. We're here to unify the country. This ain't church. It's democracy. But... As you mentioned, is he playing to the base when when he when he he starts to hesitate and and he becomes ambiguous about that? There is an element, and I know you've had some rather important discussions on your program over the last couple of months with people like Mr. Shear, Mr. Kenny, and others about their views on some of these issues. And and you, as you found out, of course, from the feedback that you received, there is an element there that actually say, no, they're right, you're wrong, Charles. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, it's, it's all about uh, the donor base. I've heard it off the air a thousand times, yeah. and uh, we all know what the donor base means. Uh, the, the, that's the active people who are willing to, you know, get the visa card out every 10 minutes 
every time uh, the, the party asks, and the, the, these these parties are really greedy. I mean, they're sending they're sending mailers out in, in some cases every week. And the Conservative Party is a is a fundraising machine. They're really proud of how they can, you know, put much more money into the campaign than anybody else. Well, you know, how's that working out for you? Uh, the donor base is made up primarily of older people who live in rural Canada. God bless them. So what? Bill, I mean, can you make a living being a, a talk show host in this gorgeous part of southern Ontario by only appealing uh, to the folks who are, are living in a, in a few of the seniors' homes and, and, and go to a couple of the churches? No, you've got a pretty short short life or short shelf life if you do that sort of thing. Well, what, what, what difference does it make if, if you're a political party? I mean, if you're a political party, I don't want to get too much into the radio business, but in radio we've got far more competition than, uh, than, than politicians have. Uh, so, you know, in, in, in some radio markets, uh, if you have, say, 5 or 6% of, of the public that is listening to radio at the time, uh, and you've got uh, people who are, you know, people who are well-read and, and people who are active and people who, who spend money on the, the, the sponsors that we have, that, that's terrific. You can be hitting it out of the park in business. You can't get 5 or 6% when you're, when you're running a, a major outfit like a conservative party or liberal party. If you're any one of those majors, if you can't get between 30 and 40 points, Forget about it. And they, they, the Conservative Party has a, a tough time uh, getting to 40 most of the time. Now, that, that, they're bragging this time because uh, they, they beat Trudeau by, you know, a couple of nickels and dimes, a few hairs. But the point is, Trudeau was damaged goods. And that's why I would say, once again, to my Conservative friends, if you can't beat Justin Trudeau when, you know, he's got uh, all this scar tissue all over his body, he's completely beaten up, he's a, a complete train wreck because of what he's done to himself. If you can't beat him in 2019 when he's a train wreck, what are you going to do next year or the year after when he's got his act together? And, and, and Justin Trudeau is not Michael Ignatia for Stefan Dion to many people in this country. It's not that they love him. He's just, to, to liberal base voters, he's acceptable. And some people were holding their noses while voting for him. This wasn't a, you know, when Justin Trudeau behaved last night like like he was still a rock star and he had the overwhelming support and whatever. I mean, that was BS. Let's just call it what it is. But you've got to put that aside if, if you're on the conservative side and, and ask yourself, if we couldn't beat the guy when he was down and out like this, how the heck are we going to beat him when he's... When, when these aren't the issues that that are up. And let's face it, if there's an election, whether it's six months from now or a year from now or a year and a half from now, if if Andrew Scheer is still talking about uh, blackface and brownface and um, and SNC-Lavalin and, 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 and the RCMP, we think the RCMP is investigating him and we, we think that he wants to raise the GST and all that other nonsense, if he's still doing that, uh, he won't get as many votes as he got last night. What they seem to fail to remember last night, too, and when I heard some of the pundits, and as you said, some of the conservative t- talking heads on this, uh, they did not rise to the, to the liberals' level. The liberals fell down to their level. Uh, and, and as you say, because of Trudeau's basically uh, unforced errors uh, over the last number of months, and you've articulated an awful lot of them right now, uh, I don't know if there's going to be another list of those. I don't know if he's going to learn from that. Uh, that's one of the million-dollar questions right now. But I guess the other one is, now that we are where we are, uh, and we see the makeup of this uh, new parliament right now. 
how long will this last? I mean, how can you govern something? I mean, there were rumors about a, an NDP liberal coalition. I don't think that's going to oh, happen. That's, that, that was always nonsense. I mean, we, we've had, what, uh, uh, one coalition one. in our lifetime? It was World War One. I. I remember laughing at Thomas Mulcair. Yeah. Thomas Mulcair was talking about, remember the coalition they were trying to cobble together, the, the Bloc Québécois, the NDP uh, yeah, liberals? Du, du under Dion, Dion, and Dion, Dion. Yeah, and and And, and Mulcair's uh, on my show... Uh, saying that uh, the Canadian uh, people are extremely open to coalition uh, governments. I said, Tom, uh, knock, knock. Like, what, what, what country are we in right now? What are you talking about? He says, well, we've had coalition. I says, when? He says, we had a coalition government during World War One." Yeah. I said, Tom, <laughs> you know, are we, are, we, are, are, we, are we uniting against the Kaiser this year? <laughs> I mean, is that the issue? What are we talking? Listen to yourself, Tom. We had we had a coalition during World War One. Therefore, we've got a tradition of coalition governments. Please. Uh, that, by the way, is the same prime minister that instituted an income tax on a temporary basis. So. <laughs> Here we are in 2019, it's still temporary, Charles. Anyway, there's no coalition. Uh, they'll they'll do bargaining on on different. I mean, there there might be some bills where. If it's, uh, say, a pipeline issue, they'll uh, force the conservatives to, to vote with them because the conservatives aren't going to vote against, uh, you know, pipeline extensions. But uh, for for NDP uh, supporters who, who think that the, this means that, uh, you know, they're going to cancel pipelines because of the, the climate change issue, uh, forget about it. That's not happening. Uh, look, uh, they may do a little something on the pharmacare. They may sure. open up. Uh, the, I mean, one of the things I'd like, I don't know whether, Bill, you and I haven't talked about this, but uh, I'm an incrementalist. I think you, you, you do one step at a time, you need to get people used to things. And I think one of the things that most of us could, could agree on is that when, when a child has a rare disease uh, and, and mom and dad hear that they've got to spend 100000 or $200,000 to make sure the child doesn't go blind or the, 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 the child can stay alive, I think Canada needs to adopt that child. I think that, you know, if, if, if little Christy needs $100,000 a year uh, to, to stop, and I'm thinking about a particular little girl in, in Owen Sound right now, mm-hmm. if, if that's what she needs to stop, uh, you know, stop whatever's happening inside her body, uh, a disease that there aren't, uh, there aren't even 10,000 people in the world who have, um, then, you know, Christy becomes Canada's child, and we're going to take care of that. Uh, that's nobody's fault. It's not the parent's fault. It's not the child's fault. I think we can do something about that. So I, I think certainly to, to, for openers, it would be a heck of an idea for, for the Trudeau uh, government, whether it's a minority or majority, uh, to get that done. And I can't see too many people. I'm a, I'm a fiscal conservative. Uh, I'll write the check if you ask me to write the check. And if you ask me, a lot of people, my, my point is, I'm not going to say, well, I can't believe what these socialists are doing. No, and, and I, I think the majority of Canadians are not one of these, hey, I just want more money in my pocket. No, no, what no. What we I, want, Charles, is the money, the money that we give them, and I, I, yeah. I readily do that, spend it wisely on what some of the things you've just described. Yeah. Well, I, I, I just think when it comes to the social safety net, uh, we've got to take care of more people. When, when I see elderly people who can't afford uh, the drugs they need, I go, what the, what the heck is, is going on here? That's, that's not health care. What are you going to say to the elderly people, uh, you know, Get your, uh, get your, the, get your employer. Uh, you know, you're going to say to an 82 year old uh, person, to go find a job so your employer can make sure that you get the, all the drugs you need. The, there, there are several holes uh, that, that need to be filled in the social safety net, and I think uh, they ought to be filled. And if, if the fact that they've got uh, 24 NDP seats in the new house, if, 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 if that can be helpful uh, to achieve that, then I would say that the minority government can actually be a a darn good thing. But I just think the, the, the bottom line is if the conservatives actually are thinking about uh, taking Justin Trudeau and the liberals out, 
they've got to, you know, look in their own eye, they've got to look at their own backyard, and they've got to ask themselves the, the, the central question, do we need to evolve, do we need to mainstream the party, and uh, I guess uh, to put it in, uh, you know, Canadian heritage terms, do we need to become the progressive conservatives? Because Canadians, for the most part, are progressive and the Conservative Party isn't. Well, and that was a point that was made last night, too. Uh, they dropped the name Progressive uh, some time ago, and apparently they dropped the concept, too. If, if, if the Conservatives don't understand that this country is progressive, I mean, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what it is about last night's map that wouldn't be able to prove it to them. And on, on a very, very personal note, because uh, I, I know that we're heard by people in a, in a wide swath of, of territory right now, I feel horrible about what happened to, to Lisa Raitt last night. Yep. Uh, she's not just a personal friend. She, to me, is the future of the party. She is everything I, I, I'm talking about. Uh, a Lisa Raitt-led conservative party would not have uh, accomplished as little as this conservative party accomplished in, in, in Ontario and elsewhere. And so uh, the, the idea that she is being punished, uh, if you don't mind me putting it this way, um, you know, they, they punished the innocent last night. Well, she's the the Lincoln Alexander conservative and and of that ilk and and uh, there was always hope springs eternal I guess that 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 element of the party might come forward but sadly with her out of there I, well I don't think we've heard the last of her but we'll Lincoln see how Alexander goes. Lincoln Alexander may he rest in peace he's the very first conservative I ever voted for I was living in Hamilton yeah, at I, the time I was uh, living on on Hunter yeah. okay in the in the Fontainebleau apartment uh, building on Hunter, uh, not far from uh, the old Channel 11 studios. <laughs> and Lincoln, I, the, the, there was no way that I couldn't vote uh, because, I mean, the, 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 the polling place was right in the building, right in the lobby. Oh, yeah. And uh, so uh, I, I voted, and I voted for Lincoln Alexander. I, and my, my, I was raised in Montreal, and I was raised in Pierre Trudeau's riding, okay? So I uh, voted, uh, you know, liberal. And uh, so here I am. I'm uh, still a young guy, early 20s, and I call my dad, and I say to my dad, uh, Dad, I I voted conservative. He said, "Are you serious?" <laughs> I said, "Yeah, I voted conservative." I said, "I, I voted for a fellow called Lincoln Alexander, and uh, let me send you some information on him." And my dad was, uh, you know, my dad got back to me after this was snail mail days, yeah. two days later, and he said, "Son, I'm really proud of you. That was a great vote." It was. It was. Uh, we got to cut it off. Uh, busy day today, Charles. As always, thanks so much for the time today. Great talking with you again. Anytime, Bill. Charles Adler, of course, host of uh, Charles Adler Tonight. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. With all the hubbub and, and all the uh, concern and all the drama that was going on here at the local level, and we talked about a number of close races. This is before the polls closed last night. Uh, when the dust settled, of course, late last night, or in some cases early this morning, uh, all the incumbents got returned. Uh, the, of course, the only change was Matthew Green and Hamilton Center, but that was an empty seat anyway. Uh, and included in that, of course, is uh, in Ham Hamilton West, Ancaster, and Dundas, uh, Philomena Tassi, former cabinet minister, was returned, and she talked with CHML's Laura Hampshire. I think that Canadians, um, at least constituents in this riding, um, that, they, uh, that they appreciate what has been accomplished and they know that there's more work to do, and they support the liberal values as we move ahead. Uh, not sure exactly what's going to happen. Obviously, she's back in, in the caucus, but uh, obviously a new government, uh, new people, uh, and we'll f make some determination. Obviously, the, the, the Trudeau team will make some determination about who is going to be in cabinet uh, with that. And Because and, that's obviously Karina Gold and Burlington, same situation. It was in that cabinet 
uh, in the last uh, government. We'll see what happens with some of the changes. Also returned uh, in what was supposed to be a pretty tight race. They turned out not to be really. Uh, out in uh, Hamilton East Stony Creek, uh, Member of Parliament Bob Bertina was returned with a comfortable margin, and uh, he joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Bob, thanks for the time, and uh, congratulations, first of all. Well, thanks, Bill. And uh, we didn't finish celebrating until about 2 in the morning, so <laughs> I may be a little uh, gravelly uh, for you. But uh, it, it was a really uh, wonderful night for us. Uh, it started out a little funny because some of the early polls were not in strong polling areas for us. And people were, oh, oh, you know, in those 12 to 15 votes in kind of numbers. But as as it grew, uh, we had momentum and we exceeded by almost 2,000 more votes, our vote count uh, last time. So. I, I can remember covering an election, and I'm trying to remember, I was still at CH at the time, so it's got to be back around the early 2000s. Uh, and and they were using the Canadian press numbers at the time. And uh, they had predicted, they said, we project Tony Valeri is going to lose this election. And and I, I went to, to Dan McLean and Connie Smith, who were the two anchors, and I said, it's not over. I said, still more than half the polls, and I said, that's that's Hamilton East. Stony yeah. Creek has not been heard from. And, of course, you know, Tony went on and, and actually did win that election. Yeah, so yeah. You, you can't do that. I mean, uh, you've got to wait. And, uh, because, as you found out, obviously, and many other people that have run for public office, there are pockets of support, and you have to find out, okay, what poll is coming in? Is that one? All right, that's that's going to be good for me. Uh, so it, it's a long process, but I guess at the end of the day, it, it, it does work. There's a lot of science to it, and we had internal polling that, are you kidding? Are we really that good? Well, we'll have to wait and see until election night. And I think our internal numbers were 10 to 12 points, and it came out about 10. So I guess the science was working in in our case. Bob, how does this impact, uh, this being a minority er, situation and a minority government now, uh, does it change the attitude and the way that, that, that your, your team is going to approach some of the key issues that came up during this campaign? Well, I hope so. Um, I always said that one of the difficulties we created for ourselves was having a large majority when we won in 2015. And I think some people internally in the party got kind of carried away with how really popular we were. I think if if we had, let's say, a two or three or five vote majority, then every last member of parliament would be really important to the big scheme of things. But the way it was, every now and then someone would take an opposing view internally with what we were doing, and they would just kind of get brushed off a little bit. So I, I really think that as we move forward with our, our group again under the leadership of the Prime Minister, we've got to take into account the, the, the information that people are bringing in from, from various regions and so on, because we don't have a big majority. We're hanging in there, but we need to work with people, and that's going to take a little bit of a different approach than, than what we had the last time. Well, I mentioned on my commentary at day 10 this morning uh, that uh, as, as winning is winning. I mean, you, you're going to form the government, even though it's minority yeah. government. But I said getting a minority is like you're getting a C- on your report card. It's a pass, uh, yeah. but they're not really impressed with your effort. And so, you know, the, the onus is on you then to say, okay, I've got to win the hearts and minds of these people back again. Yeah, because, you know, the direction of the uh, of, of the election really took a wrong turn very early when it got to be personal my biggest worry, and that's why I was so proud of our very large group of volunteers, was that people were disinterested. You heard a lot about that. Ah, they're all the same, you know, that kind of thing. So we had to get our people out. And so the 
first thing about that is thinking about us. And what that means is door-to-door, knocking on the door, hi, you know, what do you think? Uh, these, a lot of these conversations were taken uh, by very young people, uh, people in uh, in high school even. So, uh, But I think there was an energy there that encouraged people because the, the results t- speak for themselves. You know, a 5,000-vote increase over uh, the NDP. So, obviously, it went from that disinterest to interested enough to get out and make sure you get out on voting day. And that, to me, was, I mean, how many doors can I knock on? You have to have a big uh, organization around you. And really, this one belongs to uh, the the whole group who, who did that for the reasons stated. You, you just had to get people involved again because they weren't that interested at the beginning. Your campaign, especially in Hamilton East Stony Creek, it got personal uh, yeah. sometimes, some point, sometimes deeply so. Oh, yeah. uh, and as as did many of the others, by the way, and some of the other writings as well. We'll talk with those folks, I guess, uh, as time goes on here. Yeah. How do you deal with that? I mean, is the temptation to get down in the mud with them? Uh, you know, oh, yeah, well, so are you. Or, I mean, I remember Hillary Clinton's famous response with Trump, you know, when they go low and yeah. they, you know, well, it didn't work out so well for Hillary. But how do you, how do you talk to your, your crew about that and, and, and try to keep people going and try to get the, well, basically keep them on message, I guess? Well, first of all, they, they knew exactly this real story, not the story that was being circulated uh, about what happened in, in Ottawa. And it wasn't really that much, except I was called a liar twice, and I ended the meeting. So uh, so they were quite aware. And they asked me directly, "What? tell me what happened, and I told them. But the, uh, the fact is that the anger that was created actually helped us because we knew we were right and and honest, and so did a heck of a lot of steelworkers, because I I spoke to so many guys, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating on this. Bob, thank you for what you did. We know what you do. The, the plant's working. The pensions are being paid out, in, in some cases a little bit less on the benefit side, but nevertheless, a far cry from what could have been. So here we are. Um, now we're in a in a position where everybody can just sit back, let the dust settle, and figure out how are we going to move the whole country ahead? How are we going to move Hamilton ahead? Are we going to work together? Are we going to keep this acrimony uh, uh, among us? Because, uh, Bill, when I faced, was confronted with this, for instance, in debate, and maybe you can appreciate my position when I, these insults basically are being hurled at me, I wasn't going to reply in kind. I just stood there, kind of like rope-a-dope. You know, take the shots, don't lose your composure, and then repeat to people what what, what my own position was when I got a chance to, because uh, there was a lot of rambling on. So, really, uh, you did this? No, I didn't. Yes, you did. That back-and-forth yammering it w- was not being appreciated by the public in other debates. So I chose to just stand back, take the shots, and let people know, you know what, I've been here for like 50 years, 1966 when I started radio in Hamilton. I think people know who I am to a a great extent, just like you, Bill. I mean, we've been around so long. Nobody's going to accuse you of something you couldn't possibly have done because we know you too well. 
And, and, and to your point, uh, I, I think you're right. I think one of the messages that I think the Canadian voters sent to all of the people in this election, the leaders and, and right on down through to the riding associations, is we're sick and tired of the vitriolic attitude that everybody oh. has here. That nothing in the matter of being competitive. I mean, you know, I was talking with Charles Adler just before you joined us, and, and yeah. Chuck was reminded, his first time he ever voted when he was living here in Hamilton was for Lincoln Alexander. Great politician, great human being, great, but fiercely competitive. I mean, let's let's not, you know, I don't want to make everybody think that, well, okay, this, uh, you don't have to, you know, form a circle and sing Kumbaya, but yeah. you don't have to make it personal all the time. And it's it's no wonder not a whole lot gets done in politics these days, because that seems to be the attitude that too many people in public life are taking now. Well, it is. And uh, I think there are the people behind the scenes, somebody told Andrew Shear how to open up, or they came to an agreement in their little inner circle of how they would start that English language debate. And it came out with, you, sir, are a phony and a fraud. What does that tell young people watching who want to get interested in politics, how you disrespect the Prime Minister of Canada? You know, it, that probably cost him a lot, just that in itself, uh, that opening statement that, that Shear made in the English language debate. Uh, I... I quote Shakespeare do, but I'm sure chill on often a lot of the time, one of the great politicians of the 20th century. And and if you read any of the, the books, of, upon books, of, books of quotes of, of Winston Churchill, uh, there's some very acerbic things that he says about some of his opponents. Uh, and uh, But it's done in a, in, a, in a classy way. It's done with language. It's not done with gutter talk. And we seem to have devolved now into this situation where, like I say, I think you're right. I think it turns people off and they just don't want to get involved in the process. Well, the first person I ever interviewed was John Diefenbaker, and that was 1965 in Stratford. Remember in the mid-'60s, those elections were Pearson, Diefenbaker, yeah. and then later, and then Pierre Trudeau. And so Diefenbaker didn't say Pierre Elliott Trudeau is a liar and a phony. He said, is it true or Trudeau, which was funny, witty, got the point made without this acrimonious uh, full frontal attack which has what we've evolved to and you know why where that's coming from that's coming from the states and some of the advisors to uh, i think the conservative party are out of that uh, uh, that american group bob once uh, the house resumes uh, and i guess we're not quite sure when that's going to happen but sooner than later yeah. Uh, you sat on the steel committee. You've sat on a number of other committees yeah. right now. Minority parliament uh, means yeah. that uh, the, the liberals aren't going to control all of those committees. There are going to be some opposition members on that uh, those committees now. Yeah. Uh, is is it, are you confident that you can move the, uh, an agenda ahead, working with the other parties? And uh, as I was just saying with Charles, uh, if, as as the governing party. Uh, you're not beholden to any one of the other parties. I mean, there are some issues that you're probably going to get support from the NDP on. There are some other issues that you might even get some support from the Conservatives on. Uh, it's going to take some stick handling and, a, and a, some pretty adept politicking to get this thing through. I agree. Uh, the one thing that people may, uh, I'm thinking about, and maybe I'd, I'd be interested in your point of view on this, other than separation, isn't the block kind of wide open to be participate in a, in a lot of uh, new legislation that would be beneficial you know benefit Quebecers and, and the rest of Canada I know we know what their main agenda is but it, um, other than that maybe there's a good opportunity uh, 
because I thought Blanchette sounded like an intelligent man. He, you know, he did well in the in the debates and so on. He did, yeah. The, I'm wondering whether or not that some of uh, the cooperation will come from that side. Well, and, and it's interesting, even with his speech last night, which, by the way, seemed to go on and on and on and on. Uh, but uh, when he got to the issue of pipelines, uh, I'm getting the sense, and watching him in the debates and, of course, what he said last night, I don't get the sense that he's necessarily opposed to pipelines. He just doesn't want one through Quebec. Yeah. Uh, if you want to build the Trans Mountain, knock yourself out. Go ahead. You know, that's fine. It's not going to have an impact on us, but it might have a positive impact on the economy. As a matter of fact, we know it would. So I, I don't necessarily think you're going to get any opposition from him on that. The NDP, of course, are, are just going to be philosophically opposed to that, and that's just the way they are. You have to learn to deal with that. But yeah, uh, when when the yeah, block, remember, Bob, back in the day, when the block were the actual loyal opposition in Parliament for one term, uh, they were very conciliatory on an awful lot of issues. They they stand up for Quebec issues, and they always look at it through that filter, what's this going to do to Quebec? But it's not as if they just voted against everything just to be contrary. I mean, uh, and this guy sounds like a pretty intelligent man, so, you know, you got to reach out. you got to try to see if you can find some sort of middle ground here. Well, that's the, the you know, the mystery of the next few weeks and, and months is how that's going to play out. But I have, uh, I wouldn't say friends, but good acquaintances uh, on the block side. You know, we all have as you know, friends uh, of every stripe, and they're fine, but they were just totally into you know the Quebec thing. But a lot of what's good for Quebec is good for the rest of Canada too. So, uh, and the pipeline thing—they know about transfers and and who's you—you know, you have to have the revenues uh, for the all of the provinces to succeed and, and receive money as Quebec has in the past. You know that was the. The shout from Alberta, you know, what about all the money you got from our oil? So uh, I think that I agree they've got their refineries in Quebec. That oil is coming in from somewhere else. But we can still make a deal on the other side of the country. And uh, that'll be good for Canada and also good for the environment. Because the other thing you have to remember is that they uh, everybody's driving their cars to get to debates and stuff like that. It, we're a long way away from um, from no GHG emissions in, in the way we move around, heat our houses, energize ourselves. So we, you, you're going to be sensible and govern properly. You, you you can't just say, you know, we're turning the switch off next week. It's done. It, it doesn't work like that. Well, and as somebody said, it gets pretty darn cold up here in the winter, too, and part of that's going to be home heating fuel. I, and we are moving toward that, and I know Blanchette talked about that. I said Mr. Trudeau and Mr. Uh, uh, Singh have talked about this as well, that we are moving towards this. And there are incentives now with the automobile makers uh, to move more towards uh, electric cars and, and batteries. And General Motors just made a couple of big announcements about that this week. So we're yeah. there, but we're not there yet. And, and and I think that's the realization that people have to have. Uh, i got about a minute or so left, and you brought yeah. something up about Alberta, and i just going to ask you, because I'm going to ask uh, the other candidates that we talked yeah. to over the next couple of days as well. Uh, from Winnipeg all the way over to the B.C. border, blue, nothing but blue. Uh, some of the comments made by Jason Kenney and others uh, suggest that, uh, that you know, that Alberta is ready to move out and just say, that's it, we're out of here right now. Are you worried about an east-west divide, in, uh, in, not just in the parliament, but I'm talking about in the country? Yeah, uh, not worried to the extent that uh, what's going to happen next week or in a month in in, in Parliament. But these, this, there's got to be some mending. You know, my son works in British Columbia, and yeah. I, I get a lot of information about, about how people feel about politics and things like that. And it's different. In fact, my neighbor in my office building, uh, 
is uh, the member of parliament, a conservative from Dawson Creek, and we're very good friends, and we see each other all the time. And there is a difference. There is no question that people view issues differently in that part of uh, our country. It's a big country. And I think that this is something that our liberal group and the prime minister himself, Justin Trudeau, is going to really have to take seriously and, and see where are those areas that we can uh, grow on and to keep away from the separate kind of issues that create so much anger. Because there's no reason uh, there's no reason for us to to hate Albertans and vice versa. And you've traveled to all parts of the country. Sure. They're all Canadians. Like, you know, Tim Hortons is Tim Hortons. And all it's almost like, uh, you know, the people who work there are the same kind of people that work here. What, what's, why are they so different politically? Politicians have got to solve that problem, Bill. Well, and, and there's a lot of uh, rhetoric and bombast that goes on with this, too, which only really fans the flames of that. Anyway, lots more to talk about and lots more time to do it. Uh, re-elected uh, to uh, Hamilton East Stony Creek, Bob Bertino. Bob, thanks as always. We'll talk again soon. Th- thanks so much, Bill. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Well, we continue with our uh, day after coverage of the uh, 2019 uh, federal election, which, of course, gave us a minority government. Liberals 156, uh, Conservatives 122. Uh, the block at 32, the NDP 24, the Greens 3, and 1 independent. That being Jody Wilson-Raybould, of course, out on the West Coast. So where do we go forward here, and, and, and how does this impact the party leaders? Uh, it was interesting to see uh, some of the panels. I was doing some channel surfing after uh, we finished our coverage here last night. I got home, and of course it was still on. I think it's still on now, uh, some of the coverage that's happening. <laughs> And uh, it was interesting to see the tone of the discussion, especially when it came to the future of some of these leaders, uh, as to whether or not the parties are going to dump them. And I guess maybe the, the, the premise for that was the last federal election four years ago, where everybody seemed to think that uh, Tom Mulcair and the NDP had a pretty good shot at forming government for the first time ever. The NDP could actually be the governing party federally. Well, it didn't go well, as we all know now. And uh, in the subsequent uh, uh, convention, the NDP basically dumped Mulcair, got rid of him which is why uh, Jagmeet Singh is where he is now. So it has happened before. Is it going to happen again? Uh, they all gave speeches last night, and, and I can tell you from what we knew over the last couple of months, I guess, this is a, this is a speech that Andrew Scheer didn't want to give. When all the pundits and experts said it was the beginning of another Trudeau dynasty, that he would have eight or even 12 years in power. But tonight, conservatives have put Justin Trudeau on notice. And Mr. Trudeau, when your government falls, conservatives will be ready and we will win. Uh, interesting, uh, well, the, the, the bombast that goes on here in political speeches, I guess, is uh, palpable. But uh, uh, trying to put a positive spin on what was going on. So what is going to happen now? Uh, with the Conservative Party, there's a speculation about maybe they have to do a rebranding. I, I mean, when, when you don't win and when you're not successful... It's amazing how all of a sudden these rumors can start. Joining us to talk about this is uh, Vivek Rabu, who is an account director at Hill Knowlton Strategy, uh, who has worked in the Harper government and also in the war rooms of uh, the Ford and uh, Kenny election campaigns. Uh, Vivek, first of all, thank you for uh, joining us on a very busy day after. Thanks for being here today. Are we there? Okay, got to push that button. Okay, are we there now, Vivek? Yeah. All yeah, right. Good. That's okay. Great to have you here, uh, and to get your perspective on this. And uh, uh, is is this the new normal now? That if you get one kick at the can, and if you don't make it, then all of a sudden the rumors start going that you're on your way out. 
I think there's always rumors that happen after every election in every party. I think the one thing to focus on right out the gate, just looking at this election, it's very clear when you talk to people, um, no matter where they are in all the ridings across Canada, that Canadians weren't generally happy with this election. Um, the stories were focusing more on process stories or focusing more on uh, things like blackface or personal attacks on different candidates from the opposition war rooms and less on the policy that um, the, that the parties were kind of putting out there. And I think um, Canadians actually made that view known on election night with uh, minority government. And uh, in terms of what next, I think that's, that's what uh, Andrew Scheer and the Coutures are going to have to think about. I think uh, if you look back in uh, 2004, uh, Stephen Harper had a very similar situation where there was obviously a lot of hope in 2004, uh, Paul Martin, um, was uh, looked like he was on a on a week in a weekend government weekend campaign, and then he was able to pull through with the, with the minority. But as we all know, uh, the the CPC gave uh, Harper one more kick at the can, and he was able to become prime minister, and he served for almost ten years. So I, I remember that. I remember that exactly that that, that particular uh, election that you're talking about, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, within hours. Of, of of Harper not being successful, uh, it was almost like I was hearing from some of the conservatives that time uh, when I was doing the show on TV. Uh, buyers remorse, oh. like, oh, geez, maybe we should have taken Peter McGay instead. Maybe maybe this was all a mistake. And and there was some serious discussion about uh, maybe we need a leadership review. And uh, I guess you know calmer heads prevailed. And uh, as you say, the rest is history right now. But uh, sometimes they, they, this thing it just starts to spiral out of control, doesn't it? For sure. So I think, um, obviously, after any election when the party isn't uh, obviously victorious, I, I think that those questions are uh, always raised, and I think that's uh, a very healthy thing in a democracy. And I think what Andrew Scheer has to uh, prove over the next few months and uh, for the rest of his mandate with the party is that uh, uh, this is part of the plan. We have reduced uh, the government to a minority. Um, they have won the popular vote in Canada. They're, they have more seats. This is part of the plan to reduce Trudeau uh, into a former prime minister. So if he's able to successfully get that message across, uh, not just to his fellow caucus mates, but to also the party faithful, then I think uh, we can have a similar uh, kind of term as Harper, as Harper did. But these next few months are quite critical in making sure that he can actually deliver that message successfully. Vivek, when uh, this happens, and it's happened to all the political parties at one time or another, of course, uh, is, is there a discussion sometime, probably behind closed doors, about whether or not the, the party itself needs to pivot, uh, that maybe maybe we focused on the wrong stuff, maybe we have to reassess our priorities? I know Chantal Ibarrett on CBC last night was was saying that, uh, you know, they don't call themselves the progressive conservatives anymore, but when they drop the name, they seem to drop the attitude, too. Maybe they need to move a little bit more to the middle. And that's only a suggestion from Chantal Ibarrett. I'm not suggesting that's something that has to happen. But is there a reassessment of, of this one, like, you know, going over the film after a football game to see what went right, right and what went wrong? Watching the clips and the tape. No, for sure. I think, uh, I think it's healthy, and I think it absolutely should be done after, after any election campaign where you didn't win, or even if you do win, the postmortem, right? Yeah. So what can we, what can we, what did we do badly? What can we do better? Um, what are the communities that uh, shut us out? Um, how can we actually grow our base, right? So what, what you're seeing is um, you, the conservative faithful are always coming. They're always delivering. They're giving them that floor um, in terms of the 30% of, of the population or of the electorate, but they need to get higher. Um, they need, and, they, and they need to actually reach the, the levels that would give them uh, government status. So I, obviously I think over the next 
a few months or a few years, it's about recalibrating and finding a way to kind of reach out. And whether that's through uh, different policies or kind of different messaging or um, what have you, I think that's critical. And I think every party should be doing that, but uh, especially Andrew Scheer and the Conservatives, uh, given that they want to form government next time around. But you don't want to do that in public, right? You don't want to wash your dirty laundry in public. I mean, and, and in these days of social media and leaks, how difficult yeah. is it to, to, to have that discussion and not basically see it you know, as the lead story on a newscast the next day? Like, how how they find that out? So, you know, I, I think the the beauty of social media is that um, I guess it's kind of a double-edged sword. So everybody is now empowered with an opinion, right? So you can now kind of come out, you can give your take as to what went well, what didn't went well, what didn't go well. And sometimes that can be very uh, positive and can help contribute to the rebuilding. And sometimes it's just very negative and it doesn't really help. And I think um, overall it's about the team that you trust, who's kind of running this operation and making sure that like those leagues don't happen. I think these conversations now and in social media, it doesn't matter what country you're in or what jurisdiction in, in a democracy. I think uh, speculation is far more public. Uh, people's opinions are far more out there. People can kind of catch, uh, kind of ride a wave when it comes to public opinion. But I think uh, you can still have those conversations, but it's just expect more people to kind of be involved or to have an opinion um, who may not necessarily be in your inner circle for sure. It's uh, going to be fascinating to watch how this rolls out and, and what maybe subtle changes are going to be made. Uh, and we'd love to have you back in to talk about some of those as this starts to evolve. Uh, thanks again, Viva. Great talking with you today. Absolutely. Take care. You go. Viva Prabhu, of course, uh, who's uh, an account director at Hill and Knowlton Strategies, uh, who do an awful lot of work, a lot of it behind the scenes, obviously, with these political parties, uh, to try to get some sense as to what went right, what went wrong, and, and developing policies uh, for the platform. I want to move over to uh, Cameron Anderson, who is a political science professor, associate professor, of course, at Western University, uh, to get his perspective on this. Cameron, thank you for the time. Uh, Great to have you with us the day after. Yes, my pleasure. Are you surprised by the results, first of all? Uh, I'm a little bit surprised. I I think I was not expecting the Liberals to do quite as well in terms of the number of seats that they got. Um, And I probably anticipated that the Conservatives might have done a little bit better. I was expecting a Liberal minority, but not in the 150 range, more in the 130 to 140 range. So uh, I think the Liberals... uh, um, did a little better than I was expecting on that front. Yeah, I, the way they were talking about this and the you know the mere percentage points from some of the pollsters and everything, I, I, I thought it was going to be like a five or six seat difference. Uh, but they seem to have done a lot better in the in the Maritimes than people had anticipated. Yeah, much of their uh, their uh, their support in the Maritimes. Um, and, and the seats and the advances that they made in in 2015, the the, the liberals that is uh, held for uh, for, uh, for for this election, um, and and so they they built off of that that strength um, early in the evening, uh, carrying across the country. What about the polarization that's going on? And that was referenced n- numerous times during the election coverage uh, on on radio and television. That uh, here we go again. It's it's like uh, the you know the the 70s and 80s again, where uh, you've got the east and then you've got the west, and uh, nearer the twain shall meet, and and the, both of them are angry at each other. At least that's what we're told that that we're angry with each other right now. It's got to make it pretty very difficult to govern a country like that. Well, there's I think that the the, the polarization is reflected in in a couple of different ways. I think first it's reflected in the ways in which the leaders themselves have interacted and the parties themselves through the campaign and even up until the speeches uh, last night, even as they were going over top of one another at the, at the same time, um, you didn't really see a sense 
in any of, uh, particularly uh, Mr. Trudeau and Mr. Scheer's speeches of, of looking to, to, to reach out um, across party lines and to, to have a sense of working together in any uh, shape or form in, in a minority situation. So uh, clearly, I think polarization from the leader's perspective was, uh, is, is sort of a, a, something that seems to be continuing. I think also from the, the electoral result uh, in and of itself, uh, I mean, that's, it's, it's pretty stunning. It sort of brings back to, uh, you know, the, the, the result of a, of a 1993 election where, you know, the West is all reform and, and Quebec is all Bloc Québécois. Um, it, it has a bit of that sort of feel, very regionalized, um, potentially very fractured on certain kinds of issues that, uh, that are serving to divide, uh, again, both parties and, and the electorate. Well, and I'm wondering how much of that is is actually being, as you say, uh, fueled and maybe the the, the flames fanned by those politicians themselves. Uh, the ones who are complaining about it are actually, you know, spreading some of the, the rhetoric there. And, and I, I'm not suggesting for a second that they don't have legitimate economic concerns, for instance, in Alberta, because they do. But but for people like Jason Kennedy to simply say, well, it's all the fault of the federal government. Well, no, it's not. There's a whole lot of factors involved in, in the way that the the oil industry has changed over the last number of years. And the federal government certainly has a role to play. We get that. But they, they, they use that. And, and there's, a, there's a polarization that's going on here right now that actually some politicians seem to want to encourage. And it's going to make it that much more difficult, I think, to try to, to do some healing. Yeah, well, certainly, I mean... Uh and I, yeah, I mean, there's there's a there's a sense when you're campaigning that you want to play to uh, your base or to grow your grow your base uh, as strategically as possible. And and it in the campaign context, it can make sense to I think to have uh, a bit of that sort of polarizing rhetoric. Um, at the same time, now that we are with a, a minority result and and no party controls uh, the the House of Commons. Uh, I mean, the, the, the logics need to change for everybody um, be, because um, nothing will get passed, n- no budgets will pass unless there is a softening of rhetoric uh, and from, the, from the leaders on down um, that, that will, will, will move things forward. I mean, notwithstanding the you know, d- d- dynamics of, of provincial leaders, uh, premiers in you know, uh, Alberta or, or Ontario or, or, or what have you, um, that 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 fan the flames, but for their own sorts of uh, calculuses uh, serving provincial populations. But I think at the federal level, the the, the leaders, um, and this was not seen last night again in the speeches. I, I think they're they're really going to have to take a long hard look uh, at how they pivot uh, to navigate this 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 new electoral um, uh, landscape. Yeah, I mentioned that earlier in the show. I saw one of the things I thought was missing from all three speeches, from the major leaders anyway, was uh, an admission that, you know what, uh, you know, the voters are, are obviously sending us a message. We have to work harder here. I didn't, I didn't hear that sort of an attitude from any of them last night. Yeah, not not at all. And it was, um, I mean, I was very very surprised. Um, I mean, it was it was. I was watching CBC uh, late last night, and it was surprising that they all came on at the same time. CBC didn't really know what to do. Um, ultimately, they they went uh, with uh, with uh, Mr. Trudeau, um, but he was very short, um, very much a campaign style speech. Uh, it was a brief mention of voters in Alberta and Saskatchewan uh, in terms of you know recognizing that there is no liberal representation from those provinces, but. Um, um, uh, Mr. Scheer, uh, Mr. Uh, Trudeau, uh, again, really a, a lack of uh, of speaking to 
um, statecraft and uh, seeking the common the, the common good or some commonalities that 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 could be uh, workable in in this new electoral reality. Kevin, I want to ask you. You, you mentioned about Ontario and, and premiers involved in this. I don't know if you saw on, on Twitter today that the Beaverton posted something. It was actually Doug Ford banging on a basement door saying, "Can I come out now?" Uh, but, which plays to the to the theme, obviously, where has he been all this time? Sure. The Ford factor, even though he may not have been present, the Ford factor, I think, did play a role here in Ontario. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that it did. Um, I, I didn't see the, the tweet. I'm not uh, usually on, on social media, but uh, certainly uh, I, I think that it was a, a conservative uh, strategy to... Um, Distance themselves from some in the uh, the 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 Ford government and and the 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 feeling that's happening in Ontario with respect to the Conservatives. Uh, I think that um, you know perhaps where this election was won and lost was in that sort of uh, 905 region um, around Toronto into the Golden Horseshoe area and. Um, I mean those were prime battleground seats that. Uh, with with the the lingering uh, presence of a uh, provincial government controlled by Doug Doug Ford and the unpopularity of that government that the the federal conservatives um, perhaps couldn't get over that hump of of convincing voters in those ridings that they're um, they're going to be somebody different and something different than than a provincial conservative. A uh, fascinating night and a long night at that too. I really appreciate you uh, taking some time for us today, Cameron. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Cameron Anderson, of course, poli professor at uh, Western University. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Well, are we going to come together? Uh, there's well, there were some cracks, I think, in, in in the Canadian political system before, and I think some of them may have turned into chasms uh, based on some of the rhetoric that we've heard over the last seven weeks of this campaign. Uh, but the Prime Minister, uh, when he finally got uh, to speak in front of the people, was was pretty upbeat. You are sending our Liberal team back to work, back to Ottawa with a clear mandate. We will make life more affordable. We will continue to fight climate change. We will get guns off our streets and we will keep investing in Canadians. Uh, I'm so sure that a minority parliament is actually a strong mandate, but I mean, nonetheless, uh, that's, I guess, trying to stay on theme, which is uh, the way things are going. But when push comes to shove, and uh, they finally get back to work in Ottawa in uh, the next couple of weeks, uh, they're going to have to try to move their agenda forward. And uh, it's going to be tough. I mean, when you have a majority, you know that you've got the votes on just about anything you want to push. There's a process, but you know it's going to be passed because your members are going to be whipped and they're going to vote for it. Uh, minority governments, it's a lot more difficult. Joining us to talk about what may be happening here is uh, Henry Jasek, Professor of Political Science at uh, McMaster University here in Hamilton. Hey, Henry, how are you today? Not too bad. Long night last night, or actually into early this morning uh, for an awful lot of us. Uh, were you surprised by the results? Uh, I, 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 I thought it was going to be a liberal minority of some kind. Uh, there I wasn't too bad. I, I, uh, the Conservatives did a bit better than I in seat count that I expected, and the NDP didn't do as quite as well on the seat count. Uh, um, a lot of my thinking, though, was baked in on Friday where I had to put my money on the line. Uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so uh, I couldn't use the Saturday and Sunday uh, polling results. And uh, on the weekend, uh, what I did start, start to see in the polling results is that uh, Trudeau, uh, as preferred prime minister, was had jumped up to six-point lead over Shear. So I could see the rally going up there. Um and uh, the NDP vote was softening a bit over that weekend, and I think probably 
some people went into to vote and uh, you know and they said well the NDP doesn't have a chance here or maybe I should basically stick with the liberal and I think that's what happened people did in southern Ontario including in uh, in uh, our two liberal writings here in Hamilton yeah because of the increase that uh, Singh had I guess after the last debate uh, he yeah. jumped they jumped from what 14 or 15 I guess up to 19 percent but that never trans- right. didn't really translate into votes did it uh, well, I think I think the thing is, I mean, I give a lot of credit to Trudeau uh, for a whole bunch of things. He worked his butt off in that last week. I mean, he was everywhere. I mean, he was he was giving his all to his party. And by my count, he was five times in Hamilton. And so I think the two, uh, you know, I think there were good victories for both of the Hamilton MPs. Uh, and uh, so I have to take my hat out, you know, to... Uh, Philomena Tassi and Bob uh, Bertina, they deserve, uh, they worked hard and they, they, they did a good job. But they certainly were aided by a, a leader who really, uh, you know, came in here and uh, did his best to show the flag in, in Hamilton. And uh, so the, I think that showed up. Um, that that matters, it, though, doesn't it, Henry? Because I, I, oh, I can remember past federal elections. Uh, right. Here in here in Hamilton, I, I think it was usually around the Crutchian era. Uh, there'd probably be one Hamilton visit uh, on the campaign, right. and that'd be about it. Uh, right. and, and and you know they of course you know, Sheila was there and Tony Valeri and Stan Key. So I mean they were doing pretty well here, but uh, right. they didn't pay a whole lot of attention to Hamilton. But you're right. In this election, the prime minister was here an awful lot. He was here awful lot. Uh, he wanted to hold those two seats for, sh- and he did what he had to do to hold those two seats. Uh, he, so he deserves a lot of credit. Uh, the two local MPs, as I said, they deserve a lot of credit too because I think they worked very hard. Uh, and uh, so, but it wasn't. But as uh, and and I, you have to give him credit for the fact that he, uh, you know, all across southern Ontario, he held his seats. Now, one thing you he did have a he was lucky in one sense, and the NDP was unlucky in another sense. They didn't have much money, and we you could really see that the uh, tour by Jagmeet Singh uh, was really straining. They they didn't they couldn't move him around. He had to go someplace. When he went someplace, he had to stay there a long time. You know, he couldn't appear in three different provinces in one day. He didn't have that kind of money to jump around. He spent a lot of time in British Columbia. He didn't ha- spend the amount of time and have the organization in in southern Ontario, and so he basically, you know, didn't, I mean, he was hoping to pick up that Hamilton EC. Obviously, it didn't come close. He was hoping to do well in that, you know, and put his MP, former MP, back in there. That didn't work. And then he, he tr- was hoping, certainly he was hoping to have some Toronto seats, Davenport, uh, Parkdale. Uh, those those seats didn't come up, and uh, he wasn't even able uh, to get any of his uh, home seats, uh, you know, his original home seats. I mean, this was a guy who's a, a local guy in Brampton, and all he didn't get, he didn't win a single Brampton seat, didn't win any Mississauga seats, Scarborough seats. I mean, this uh, he just uh, he just wasn't in there enough. He didn't have the organization in there enough, and uh, so you you uh, you had two sides of the same co- of the same coin. Trudeau being being able to run a very strong campaign, and he gave it his all. And Jagmeet just was uh, limited by his organization and limited by a lack of money and essentially was really focusing on trying to make sure he could get as much out of British Columbia as he could. Let's, let's talk about the days after this. And, and sure. you know, I, I know that Tom Mulcair was mentioning on the national broadcast that oh, Canada has used to coalitions. We've only, as you and I talked about last week, we've only ever had one coalition government. That was 1918. But we have had minority governments that have worked collaboratively 
yeah. without any written down deal or anything like that, and which I think is what's going to happen here. Uh, and, and in the past, Henry, you know, the, 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 like I say, uh, uh, you know, our Medicare program that we have right now, uh, you right. know, the, our pension plan reforms, a lot of that, they all worked under minority governments where they said, okay, you guys have got to help us on this. Uh, but there was a sense of cooperation, and not that they weren't competitive, but, you know, they, they understood that, look, if we don't work together, none of this is going to get done. I don't sense that there's a whole lot of attitude like that in this parliament, and especially among the leaders. Well, I think, I, I take maybe a slightly different Attack uh, or view of this, I think. I think essentially, J- J- Jugmead and uh, and Justin are going to get together, and I think they can work together. Now, what kind of deal they're going to uh, have, I don't know. Uh, if I was without advising Justin, uh, one thing you have to look is that whenever there was a good deal between um, a relationship between a uh, liberal, big liberal government and a somewhat smaller NDP government. Uh, it's worked out very well for the liberals in a subsequent election. I mean, we can go back and say, okay, look at look at the seven year, five years of Lester B. Pearson with the NDP, and that paved the way for the big victory of Pierre Trudeau's in 1968. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he got into trouble in his second election, uh, he did even worse than his son. He only had a two points, uh, two uh, seats over his conservatives. So, but. He worked with uh, David Lewis and the NDP, and what for two years. And what happened? Boom! He got a majority in 1974. Um, Peterson, David Peterson, provincial level, worked with Bob Ray for uh, for two years. They had a, a written accord. It wasn't yeah. a coalition government. A written accord. And what happened after two years? Big liberal majority for the P- Peterson. So you know, I think what happens is that when you people really like how a liberal government buttressed in some way by the NDP functions, and they tend to give the credit to the liberal government. So uh, I think, I think, I think you know, I would advise them, make a deal with, uh, uh, with, uh, with Jugme. Uh, if I were him, I would try to go, go do some sort of four-year deal with them, or as long as possible, and, I, and then he's going to be in great shape uh, after that, because I bet between the two of them, they will do things that people will like in the province. They will, you know, basically... You know, the NDP will have to give up some of its things that aren't so popular, but they're committed to, and the liberals will have to do the same. The result is, I think you're going to have a government that probably the uh, population likes, and I can see him jumping back up in the next government. So I think these two people can get along. I think they will know what history is like. Jugmead has said over and over again, I am willing to cooperate with uh, with uh, Justin Trudeau, and I and I take him at his word. I think he's being very honest there, and and I think Justin will see the light that you know it's it's in his interest, the Liberals' interest, the the the, the, the country's interest to basically have a, a a concord of some kind, some kind of agreement with with the NDP. Well, and there's and some numbers that's there. That's what I think is going to happen. That's what I think is going to happen. There are some numbers here that substantiate that too, and. Especially when it comes to, for instance, uh, to climate change and environmental right. policies. I mean, when if you look at, at the Liberals, the NDP, and the Greens, and and I understand that there are some some differences in their policies and their approach to yeah. this, but but a lot of similarities too. Uh, when you add those votes up, Henry, that's about fifty six percent of the people that voted in this election support carbon pricing. I mean, because because all those parties uh, are supportive of it in some way, shape, or form. It's, it seems to be the Conservatives that are on the outside looking in on this. So you know that they can move forward on something like that. Yeah, they're the one, uh, you know, they're the odd group out. Uh, yeah, sure, they can say, well, we got a larger popular vote than the liberals by, by a little bit, uh, by about a, a point, you know, a little point, and point one point three. 
But uh, if you add up all the others, including the bloc, I mean, the bloc, and we know Quebec is very much in favor of uh, uh, strong action on the on the environment. Uh, they take pride of that, and I think the bloc recognized that, and they talked about that in Quebec. I think that was flew under the radar in the other provinces, but they, I think that was very important to getting that those. Uh, you know the block, uh, the block support that they got, and then of course you add the NDP, you add the Greens, and uh, who did Greens did better than they usually do? Not a heck of a lot better, but they did do better. And so, yeah, I think there is a problem. I mean, I think all of these other party leaders, and particularly well, Jagmeet and, and Justin, have to communicate, talk to the people out west, particularly in Saskatchewan and and uh, Alberta. It is really difficult. I mean, the the world is changing. I can understand the people in Saskatchewan for and, and Alberta for various reasons don't want to change, but in fact they are going to have to change, and they're going to see it. I mean, we know we're going to have better, terrible, more and more harsher rainstorms. We know we're going to have long drying periods, and we're going to have bad forest fires. And that's we're you know we've seen that already in Alberta. It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse in Saskatchewan. We all know what's coming, and and you know and people don't want to take the steps to deal with it out there because they they think it's not in their short-term economic interest but they they're going to have to face up to it because the the life is going to become out there in Saskatchewan and Alberta and the environment is going to become very bad for them it's not something that's going to happen only somewhere else it is going to happen in Alberta and Saskatchewan, and I think particularly the big thing is going to be forest fires. How flexible are these parties going to have to be, though? And, and we've just talked about one contentious issue, which is which is climate change. And as you say, right. there's, there's some some similarities there between us, so I, I can see them working together. Uh, the other one, though, which some people would suggest is at the other end of the scale, is the completion of the, uh, the Trans Mountain Pipeline, which the Liberals are committed to. I mean, they spent a lot of right. money on this. Uh, there's no way the NDP are going to support that. But on the other side of that coin, Henry, I can't see the conservatives voting against the pipeline. I mean, they, they may have to hold their nose and do it, but, uh, you know, when that finally does come up, i I, I got to think that they're on side. Well, I think the biggest problem for the pipeline is Quebec. Uh, I can't see that Quebec's going to allow that pipeline to cross their territory. And, of course, the people in New Brunswick want that pipeline very badly because they, they see jobs and uh, and and refineries and other things in New Brunswick, particularly in St. John. And uh, so I think one possibility, and I can see the NDP saying, okay, this is a one-off. I can see the pipeline coming into Ontario, but I could also see that they're going to, you know, when you get to eastern Ontario, you drop it into northern New York State, go across northern New York State, northern Vermont, northern New Hampshire, and and then bring it into New Brunswick. I think that's what they're going to have. If they're going to build it to New Brunswick, that's what they're going to have to do. I cannot see how that pipeline gets built across Quebec. Uh, the, go- the Quebec government's going to fight against it. And also, I think Justin Trudeau realizes if he forces that on Quebec, I mean, he's going to get killed in the next election in Quebec. Whatever he's got there, he's going to lose. But and you're right, there People are Quebec options. are not going to put up with that. Yeah, uh, and and probably in the shorter term, of course, we're talking about the Trans Mountain, which is going to go obviously from the OS lands over to the BC coast. Uh, right. I, I got the sense, though, from Mr. Blanchet's co- uh, comments during the debates and even last night, he's not opposed to pipelines. He just doesn't want one in Quebec. I mean, if they're going to build the one out in BC, I don't think he cares one way or another about that. But yeah, uh, I don't. I agree with you on that one. Yeah. So I, I think that one's that's not a slam dunk, obviously, because there's some legal thing that has to go through. Mm-hmm. But on the right. other hand, uh, that would at least satisfy some of the the detractors that are saying that the government's not doing anything about this, which I think is probably an oversimplification of this. But you're right; the Energy East pipeline is going to be a whole different animal, uh, and that's right. going to take an awful lot of work. 
does take a lot of work, and I, the only, as I said, the only way I see it being built is if it crosses through U.S. territory south of Quebec. I can't, I cannot see that going through Quebec for pol- uh, political reasons. Well, uh, we'll see who's in the White House by then, too, because uh, with what's going yeah. on in that political situation, that well, might change. I mean, they, I mean, I don't know if they, you know, there's not my, uh, big populations there, but they, you know, some of the, you know, some of those populations in those north, those states, the northern parts of them, may see that as good, you know, good for their economies. And, and those areas are very poor areas. I mean, if you go to northern New York State, northern Vermont, northern uh, northern uh, New Hampshire, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of low-income people there who would love just about any kind of economic activity coming their way and uh, I, I think they'll be I think the US will be quite open to that uh, but I think uh, it's not something that I, I think they people have thought a lot about but everything I saw in the you know in the campaign in Quebec I cannot see that that pipeline going through Quebec I just I can't imagine the, the condition under which it would go. No, I, I agree totally on that. Listen, you, you mentioned about uh, some successful uh, minority governments in the past. Uh, yeah. A lot of the conservative pundits last night and this morning, if you read some of the uh, the posts that they've been putting up, uh, suggest that, well, you know, it'll be about another eight or nine months or before we tear this government apart, uh, and, and there'll be another election. Uh, that seems to be their prediction. But as you said, uh, there have been minority governments that have lasted for years and years. Uh, I, I guess it really depends on the attitude you bring to the table, doesn't it? I mean, if you're bound yeah. and bent that you just want to destroy this and be contrarian, uh, yeah. maybe not much is going to get done and maybe the government will fall. But, uh, uh, you know, you have to ask yourself, are they going to take an open mind when they come into this or are they just going into this next session with the stated purpose of saying, well, we want to bring the government down? I, I just think, I think Trudeau is going to see that, as I said, I think he's going to see that it's in his interest and in the country's interest to essentially have a long-term agreement of stability with the NDP so that they have, I, you know, I, I would think it's completely in his interest to get, say, go to the NDP says, let's have a four-year agreement on what we're going to do. Now, he's going to have to bend. I mean, sometimes that's been a problem. I mean, the the provincial liberals will tell you, well, when we had a deal between Ray and Peterson, Ray didn't bend enough. But Ray, you know, he put out a bunch of stuff they were going to do, and they did it. Uh, he signed on the dotted line. And uh, and I know the liberals don't like that, you know, want to give in because they think we're still the major party and they shouldn't, shouldn't give in. But quite frankly, if I was at Justin Trudeau's elbow, I'd say, listen, this is, if you want your majority back again... You got to play nice with the NDP for four years, and then the next election you're going to get your majority back in because people are going to like you know that kind of arrangement. But uh, I, I and I think I think he's smart enough to see that. I think I think it is. I think Jugmeet understands that he wants to build a record and then claim victory over a four-year period. He's ready to go, and I'm sure he'll do anything it takes to have a stable parliament. Because he, first of all, he has no money to fight another election. So he he's going to be very flexible in terms of strategy. I mean, he can't. I mean, he he has no money, and he just he needs four four years to 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 pay off the bills for this election and get ready for the next one. So he's he's going to be a completely willing partner. He's not going to be like Bob Ray was, uh, you know, who was ready to you know hop to trot against Peterson. And, and, and as far as I can tell, Ray and Peterson really personally didn't get along. Uh, but this this is a different sort of situation. I think. Uh, 
I think it's going to be more like a Lester, you know, like a, a Lester B. Pearson situation that they had, you know, Pearson and, and Tommy Douglas. Mm-hmm. I think they, they were able to reach agreements. And even, you know, even Pierre Trudeau with David Lewis, those two two guys are, you know, we're, we're not as, uh, fr- you know, uh, open to to, to uh, uh, massaging each other or others you, as, as the previous one of Douglas and, and Pearson. But they, they were able to do it for two years, and it redounded to the benefit of the uh, Liberal Party. Well, we'll see just what transpires uh, in the weeks ahead. Uh, as always, Henry, thanks so much for this. Great talking with you today. Okay, love talking to you, Bill. Bye-bye. Henry Jasek, of course, from McMaster University. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.